Hello and welcome back to Haunted 518. Hello fellow paranormal aficionados. Today I am so excited because we have a very special guest. We have Ben Bagensky, who is a fellow paranormal enthusiast and a native of Syracuse who's joining us for a fun episode on all things spooky in Syracuse. So how are you, Ben? Thank you for joining us doing very good thank you for having me yeah we're i know we're stepping outside of the 518 but syracuse is so close to the border and it's it's got so much history and lore associated with it that i've been wanting to do this episode for a long time but the fact that i have like someone who's from there and knows so much about the area just makes this that much better so we're super excited to have you and uh and talk about some really fun stuff so we're gonna start by i'm gonna crack a beer and i know ben has a delicious drink as well so big cheers of uh a cheers through cheers. <laughs> through okay. zoom we're clinking i'm drinking i'm drinking unfortunately just a heineken because i forgot to stop and get something more interesting than that <laughs> but i am drinking a beer <laughs> And what are you drinking? I'm going with a uh, spicy ginger brew, main root. Um, it's a caffeine-free, non-alcoholic beverage that is currently burning my throat. <laughs> is main root the the company? Like Maine is in the state? Oh, I actually don't. That's what I was. I was like, does that mean it was know. made in Maine? <laughs> I think it's probably. I think it's probably the company name. Mm. It feels right. Nice. I love it a good right. ginger beer. Alcoholic or non-alcoholic, they're delicious. <laughs> but they are strong. Either way is great. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, huge cheers to you being willing to come on and share your like knowledge and expertise and just passion for all things paranormal, thing, all things spooky, and just like your passion for um, Syracuse because we we really appreciate that. So, so yeah. So I figured before. So listeners, we have a lot we're gonna go into Syracuse and in our and my research was came up with so much fun spooky stuff but i wanted to get to know ben just a little bit before we started so i just had a few questions like basically i just wanted to ask like were you born and raised in syracuse like would you like to share maybe what area exactly that was in yes so um so i was actually born in the city of syracuse but i was raised in clay which is north of syracuse it's basically a swamp <laughs> The swamp area wow how is that like considered um like the like the rural part of northern it's like northern syracuse kind of it's like right outside maybe the city area is yeah it... so it's it's rural but uh it's on a sliding scale there mm. so it does get more rural okay uh yeah. we look down our noses and clay and other neighborhoods oh but interesting we're still we're still a swamp oh <laughs> That's funny. Then, then the next question I had b before we kind of got into the spooky stuff was, um, so basically in the research that I did, and we're definitely going to get into this, uh, one thing that really surprised me about Syracuse was how much like the roads and the woods, the woods that um, we're going to tell some stories about get into, um, both you and I are going to talk about that, which I'm really excited to hear um, about your stories that you're going to share with everybody. But it, it really surprised me that around Syracuse, how it just seemed to be just as haunted as the city itself, so, maybe even more so. So that really did surprise me. So that the main question I had was like, is this something growing? 
growing up around there was that something you knew about well known what was the relationship between like the woods in the city and the spookiness that you heard so a lot of a lot of that division between the urban and the rural haunts and the paranormal is a lot of what's informed my approach today to the paranormal wow uh, the 315 as opposed to the 518 yeah. uh, the 315 is a very strange place um i went to school uh in the 518 i live there now mm. and i remember in undergrad meeting someone and their phone number said also 315 and they said you're from the 315 you're also a strange person <laughs> you know it's it's just this assumed it's a very strange place so when i was young i was oblivious to the idea that there were things besides houses and graveyards that could be haunted uh to me woods were for things like bigfoot uh or 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 you know monsters or fairies yep. anything <laughs> it wasn't until later i started to really realize that the woods are more haunted and any civilized spot at least speaking for syracuse that happens to be haunted it's because there used to be woods there interesting wow yeah and it's really interesting to me i've been especially excited for this episode because i mean syracuse is a stone's throw away i was born in albany but grew up in um a little bit north of that in like clifton park area living now in like mechanicville malta area i mean just north of that you're so syracuse is so close i had no idea hearing you say that so, someone saw your area code on your phone on your phone number and said that to you um oh so you're strange too it's it's just so funny it's just not something that was kind of I don't think on any of our radar when we were growing up, but I wish I had known because I was just as fascinated and interested and my curiosity was piqued when I was little just as much as it is now about this kind of thing. So I'm really glad that uh, today we're going to delve into it because that's that's really fascinating to hear. And um, I know New York State in general has some really fascinating history with the occult, which I've talked about in previous episodes. But, um, but it's really fascinating to me that that area in particular, what we'll delve into today, the we're going to call today's episode Haunted 315 <laughs> instead of Haunted 518. <laughs> so I think that's great. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, basically, before we get into it, we're going to start by going over some of the heavy hitter, really supposedly haunted land uh, locations in Syracuse. But just lastly, before we started, is there anything else you want to share with our listeners to start off this like spooky extravaganza that we haven't already kind of talked about already? <laughs> yes, before the spooky extravaganza. I love that. It's very Vincent Price. Extravaganza. Um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, uh, if I could shamelessly plug um my uh yes, podcast please. is coming up soon um Yay. it's it's going to be a baby podcast soon i i think you're i think right now yours is at like what episode 60 or something e, like I, this will be 61 episode 61 I, yeah. I hope mine survives that long but, <laughs> it will. um so haunt and gather uh which uh with my co-host jack uh Krisky, uh we're going to be going into new american folklore uh homesteading awesome and adventure wow uh, so we're going to kind of be giving our our take on the some of the anatomy behind the paranormal and how it also intersects with daily life 
uh, in the United States and, wow. and abroad. Uh, so right now, it's not there. Uh, right now, the website's under construction, but we do have a Twitter account. <laughs> I think I tweeted once on it before, but we're going to use that to announce everything once it's ready to go, and that's at Haunt and Gather. So that's Hunt and Gather, except Haunt, H-A-U-N-T. Awesome. And then as soon as the website is published and the podcast is public, published, excuse me, listeners, um, I will make sure to let you know exactly where you can find that. So um, just let me know when that happens. And oh, you're very welcome. I'm, I'm, I'm very excited. And I, from what I understand, what we've talked about, it's going to be well worth the wait. Um, and so I'm just I'm excited that you are uh, taking the time to curate this this absolutely fascinating uh, topic and dedicating the time. And so very thankful to you and Jack for doing all of this. And uh, yeah, so I'm looking forward to it. Whatever that may be, it's going to be worth it. <laughs> worth One the day. wait. Yeah. <laughs> Sooner or later, whatever that is. According to the prophecies. <laughs> Awesome. So we'll go right ahead. So yeah, like I said, the the first, I think it was the first six places um, are what, what I have termed the heavy hitters of Syracuse. They just came up in my research as like the most haunted or the most notorious places. And I do think that has to do with the fact that some of them are not necessarily um, like lesser well-known things so the first one we're going to start with is the landmark theater and um i wanted to just talk about the history a little bit it's going to be like a short synopsis of kind of how the theater came to be and then we'll go over um who haunts it and why they haunt it um but i'm curious kind of how much of this history you may know so when silent movies arrived in syracuse selena street and are you familiar with selena street uh, Salina Street. Salina yes. Street. Okay, well, yes. I'm glad you asked. Salina Street. So, so, so when silent movies came to Syracuse, Salina Street had, I believe it was four theaters. One was called The Empire. The second was called The Strand. The third was called Keith's. And the fourth was called Temple, also known as Paramount. At, at a later time, it changed from Temple to Paramount. Oh, and a fifth called the Eckel Theater, E-C-K-E-L. So those five theaters um, were what was basically drawing patrons downtown for movie stage shows. And the latest and grandest of those was called the Lowe's State Theater. And that's Lowe's, L-O-E-W-S. So Lowe's State Theater. Um, so who is so who started the who is the Lowe behind Lowe's State Theater? Marcus Lowe had attempted to buy the M Empire Theater, but negotiations had failed. Real estate developers instead found him building. Sorry, instead found him at the building site at the northwest corner of Salina, Salina Street. Am I saying that right, Salina? Salina, yeah. So, okay, Salina Street, then occupied by the Jefferson Hotel, along with the frontage for a block along Jefferson Street. Thomas Lamb was commissioned as an architect for this new project. He had already he was the designer for the Strand, the Temple, and Keith's, but this was to be the city's largest theater with 3,000 seats and an 80-story office tower. I'm sorry, eight-story, not 80-story. This is a big difference. Eight-story <laughs> office tower. Sorry about that. Uh, site acquisitions costing around $1.9 began on March 29, 1926, and groundbreaking for construction began near a year later on March 15th, 1927. 
construction of the theater involved more than 300 workers and cost around 1.4 million. And a little more than 11 months later, the theater was ready. Lowe's State Theater opening was announced on February 18, 1928, and the new theater was advertised as the last word in theatrical ornateness and luxuriousness. <laughs> By mid-morning on that first Friday, hundreds of had formed lines outside the new theater for an admission price of 25 cents patrons were directed by uniformed ushers through the lobbies absorbing the wealth of colors and materials such as marbles and terrazzo rich tapestries exotic furnishings and filigreal chandeliers also adorns the palatial theater the main lobby which boasted a chandelier di designed by louis tiffany for Corneli cornelius vanderbilt's mansion also featured the grandest of the theater's exquisite murals the musicians gallery located over the front doors featured quartet serenades as intermission entertainment during the 1930s patrons who ascended the grand staircase reached the promenade lobby where they were delighted in finding a fish pond with a Japanese pagoda fountain. Well, that's beautiful to have that indoors. The main auditorium, which now has, houses 2,800 seats, was decorated in rich reds and golds and elegantly accented with wall ornaments. The 1,400-pipe Wurlitzer organ offered its own exotic flavor, treating patrons to such sounds as the glockenspiel, marimba, bird whistles, hoofbeats, and surf sounds. <laughs> For more than a year, Lowe's showed only silent films. It shows it showed at first its first talkie, uh, quote unquote, the, which was called the Broadway Melody, on March 30th, 1929. The 1930s and the Great Depression provided some of the theater's finest hours. In the cultural style of the times, a uniformed doorman, or barker, greeted patrons outside of the theater. Three cashiers staffed the outside box office kiosk, and crisply uniformed ushers, overseen by captains, directed patrons into lines between rich velvet ropes and then to seats as they became available. Sharply dressed candy girls graced the concession counters. Meanwhile, a basement carpenter shop created signs and stage props to order. In 1933, Lowe's presented its first public demonstration of television. In 1934, it introduced double features. About the same time, the landmark began screening films in color. In the early 1940s, Hollywood presented war films, complemented by newsreels which patrons carefully scrutinized for glimpses of friends or relatives in uniform. Veterans were paraded across the stage. Intermissions were devoted to war bond sales. In 1947, Lowe's state box office receipts were at their peak, but after World War II, staffing, maintenance, and tax costs all rose with enormous negative impact for the theater. Soon, the corporation began to diversify, resulting in the perception that downtown theaters were corporate liabilities. It reduced staffing, maintenance, and systems upgrading. Mechanical plants were failing. Decorative fabrics, walls, carpeting, and seating, once fastidiously maintained, fell victim to vandalism. That's sad. In, in 1954, Lowe's State Theater be organ became defunct. Ten years later, the company sold the beloved organ and its components were created and later installed in the Than Stanford Theater in Palo Alto, California. In 1967, the parent corporation of Lowe's State Theater announced the closing and probable demolition of it of the theater. At 
the same time, the neighboring Keith's and Paramount theaters were being demolished for new retail development. City officials and cultural organizations banded together to try to save downtown's last and grandest theater, but county officials instead approved and built the John H. Mulroy Civic Center on Montgomery Street. A reduced tax assessment in exchange for a pledge to keep operating enabled Lowe's State Theater to reopen, but it featured lesser quality shows and differently received now that they were in direct competition with TV and suburbia's smaller, well-financed first-run houses. In the mid-70s, Lowe's again announced the theater's closing. With demolition threatened once more, community leaders, city officials, and cultural agencies established a committee to study possible community acquisition. On May 21, 1975, the Citizens Committee Committee to Save Lowe's was formed, but sadly it was too late, and the next day the Lowe's State Theater was officially closed. Closed. On June 4th, 1975, the main lobby's Vanderbilt Chandelier was sold. On July 9th, the Syracuse Area Landmark Theater, also known as SALT, was established as the agency to try to acquire and preserve the theater, and the city of Syracuse offered tax rebates to assist in the process. On July 14th, 1975, the theater reopened. On May 3rd, 1976, the U.S. Department of the Interior listed the theater in the National Register of Historic Places. This provided a federally protected preservation covenant, making SALT eligible for preservation funding and discouraging commercial development. In August of 1977, Sutton Real Estate retained ownership of the office building, but SALT was able to buy the theater for a portion for $65,000 on the condition that funds could be raised within 90 days. Volunteers intensified fundraising and began emergency repairs to allow reopening. Volunteers scrubbed, patched, and resuscitated aging equipment. They arranged tours to reintroduce residents to the theater's splendor. The first weekend, lines of patrons formed all along the street. The high point came on October 11, 1977, with a sold-out benefit with Harry uh, Chaplin. Despite these valiant efforts, SALT remained more than $30,000 short. On November 5th, the State Office of Parks and Recreation, citing the magnificent effort of volunteers, announced a matching grant of up to $35,000 for the acquisition of the theater. The National Endowment of Arts also made a $5,000 grant for architectural feasibility studies. On June 29, 1979, the title to the theater was finally transferred to SALT. Volunteers swarmed over the building, removing now prohibited asbestos, replacing some 18,000 light bulbs and many other tasks. Local, state, and federal governments, foundations, and corporations began responding to the theater's pleas for funding. Once more, the theater became a a venue for stage events. Revenue from individual memberships increased. Legendary performers that appeared as the the theater reopened included Gregory Peck, Lena Horne, Tony Bennett, Harry Belafonte, Pete Seeger, and Bob Dylan. And since the completion of the stage expansion, the theater has been host to many top-level national acts, including Jerry Seinfeld, Jackson Brown, the Celtic Women, Ray LaMontagne, and numerous Broadway touring shows, in addition to the many corporate and fundraising events, events held at the theater each year. Today, the theater boasts its strongest staff in decades and has an incredible support from the community and local businesses as seen through its strong board membership and theater leadership. So that was like a very 
tumultuous story. I thought it was going to be demolished. It was up and down for 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 a while. Um, it's a good metaphor for Syracuse as a whole. Oh, that's over interesting. The past century, I would say. Wow. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yep. So the history behind the theater is longer than the lore associated with it. But um, basically, the the lore behind it is that it's said to be haunted by the spirit of a woman named Clarissa, who is killed after falling from one of the theater's balconies. Her apparition is seen by employees and guests wearing a long white dress and is often accompanied by the unexplained scent of lilac perfume. Um, so two questions I had for you, Ben, was, did you know about the haunting but also did you know about the fairly tumultuous history of that theater have you and well i guess third question have you been inside and seen these spectacular beautiful things <laughs> so i have been there um for at least one field trip it's one of those spots where if you go to school in north syracuse or east syracuse or you know just the syracuse region as a whole at some point in time there's going to be a field trip to the Landmark Theater. Mm. Um, there's also an art museum nearby. There, there, there's a couple other spots that are like, you're going to go to these places yeah. for field trips. <laughs> and of course, they go and they, as a kid, they prattle on about history and it, it's a nice looking building. Mm. Um, uh, I don't I don't know, or maybe it was too long ago for me to remember, or maybe they had all the kids take a, a side entrance. <laughs> I don't remember any of these grand <laughs> grandiose things, things when I was there. <laughs> um, but I remember the ghost stories because that's all the kids would talk about with each other. Wow. You know, the kids would have questions about the ghost stories, and the teachers would roll their eyes and not <laughs> want to explain the ghost stories. Um, I had heard a story about a man um, who uh, was found and he had hanged himself. Oh. That was the story I heard. Interesting. Um, I heard uh, one kid say that he saw a ghost in one of the balconies, you know, threaten and point at him menacingly. Uh, <laughs> you know, and even as a kid, I was like, I think you're full of it. But <laughs> everyone, everyone made up their own ghost stories. And so I had never heard about the lady. <laughs> oh, interesting. Like lilacs, but... <laughs> Um, but that was a big thing is I, I think a part of it is you'd get a lot of kids who'd go there and certain kids would almost like try their metal at making their own yes. ghost story up because everyone knew it was haunted, but no one was sure what the story was. Who or what? <laughs> now I know. So I'm going to have to go back there. Go see Clarissa. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, that is that's really interesting and I'm really glad that it 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 was ended up um that it was salvaged and saved and restored maybe not necessarily back to its formal glory but at least something uh as important to the history of the area was brought. That's the thing about the tumultuous histories is a lot yeah. of Syrac Syracuse is one of those uh American industrial towns mm -hmm. that made they they had all these factories that did all sorts of crazy stuff. They uh, made the light bulbs that were for like the Statue of Liberty's torch. Oh, that's they fascinating. Had a lot of these amazing factories, and then the you know just the industries all shut down. Hmm. And since then, Syracuse to this day is, is trying to redefine itself. But a lot of the things that they did a good job doing in the 70s, 80s, 90s is saying, wouldn't it be a shame if this building was destroyed, mm -hmm. if this building was destroyed? So by the time I was, you know, a 
a kid going there on a field trip. I had no idea at the time. Um, but being older, I would have, I would have guessed there's probably like 10 times a building almost shut down if it's in Syracuse. <laughs> That's really interesting. I, I did not think to research just the general history of Syracuse as a whole in preparation for this episode. So again, this is so fantastic that you're with us because that's really, really fascinating to hear that that is absolutely, um, could be a metaphor for the, for the city as a whole. Cause I didn't realize that. I will say about also this, the the history of Syracuse is the, um, the name salt for what Syracuse area landmark. Yep. Um, is a great play on words because Syracuse is the salt city. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't realize that. Be- I may- guess there's a lot of salt. Oh, is what interesting. I, understand. There, I think there might have been salt mines, something like that, but oh. it's, a, it's a salty place. <laughs> a salty place. I like that. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for, um, for sharing that. The next one we're going to go to is the Erie Canal Museum. I just this just kept coming up in all of my research. I just wanted to read just a just a snippet of its history. Um, basically, it opened its doors on October fifth, in nineteen sixty two, and it celebrated and preserved the life of the last remaining Waylock building in America. This Greek revival building stands as a monument to the Erie Canal's transformative role in the history of the United States. And the present professional museum, which houses the Syracuse Heritage Area Visitor Center, stands as a testimony to the work of many dedicated people. Um, the museum, which is accredited by the American Association of Museums, is visited annually by more than approximately 23,000 visitors from all 50 states and actually many foreign countries as well. Um, and listeners, they're open seven days a week and it's free to get in. <laughs> free admission, it says. And then uh, what's the lore behind it is that um, basically the... They say it's home to several ghosts, including a group of see-through children who play in the courtyard, a woman who was killed where the model canal boat now sits, and a pair of arguing men that you'll hear tromping through the 150-year-old hallways. Um, So many, many supposed people haunt those halls. Have you been to that spot? I feel like that's another field trip spot. (laughs) I don't think, I I feel deprived. I don't think I was ever (laughs) taken there for a field trip. Oh no! Well, maybe that's a fun. I the Erie Canal was something we were just. I, my actual elementary school was just so close to, physically close to the locks. That was like the field trip we went on every year. Oh, <laughs> it was always the locks. It sounds more fun yeah. than the Landmark Theater. I'm yeah. going to say I would have yeah. preferred seeing the Erie Canal. Yeah, it was fascinating. All right, so the next one we're going to talk about is the Hotel Syracuse, and with this one, there's a little bit of history behind it as well. So um, we're going to start back in the 1920s, which were a uh, time of growth for the cities such as Syracuse, New York. In 1921, to solve the need for more hotel rooms in the city, a group of businessmen were able to raise $3.8 million to build a hotel. Construction began in 1922 on Warren Street. George B. Post built the Hotel Syracuse and then moved on to the Waldorf Astoria. After a few problems with financing, the 600-room hotel opened in 1924. Its beauty and feeling of opulence were unmatched in the city. Parties and weddings were held in the gorgeous Grand Ballroom or the later added Persian Terrace. 
The Rainbow Lounge with its unique bar and the Cavalier Room with men-only hours were frequented by locals and guests. <laughs> the hotel was not built on an empty lot, but a hotel, the four-story Trout, Truax, I don't know if I'm saying that right, Truax, T-R-U-A-X, the four-story Truax was already on the location. This building was moved by rollers across the street and turned so that it still faced Onondaga Street. That is fascinating. That happened in Albany too. They've There's a famous picture of a building being moved by rollers. It's like a four or five story apartment building. Really? I think it was a business building then and it's now an apartment building. I forget what its use was, but I went on the haunted history trail, like the walking tour of Albany. And that was the thing that fascinated me the most. And they had the original photos of it and it didn't go far. It went like 400 feet to the left. <laughs> they went through all that. <laughs> so that's really funny. I'm that's... sorry. I'm still, I still can't get over the... <laughs> Gentlemen only. Gentlemen only. <laughs> no girls allowed. Nuns only hours between the hours of such and such. No ladies. <laughs> Amazingly, the workers stayed in the hotel as it was slowly wheeled, inch by inch. Okay, that's even more fascinating. They were inside. <laughs> it remained in full operation during this 90-day endeavor. Okay, <laughs> this just keeps getting better and better. A church and some homes were demolished for the build. Jackie Coogan, the child star who worked with Charlie Chaplin and later pa played Fester in the Addams Family television series, was present for the grand opening and the first to sign in as a guest. This is this is the best story. The flood of celebrities continued through the years, including Babe Ruth, Mickey Mantle, Charles Lindbergh, President Roosevelt, sorry, Presidents Roosevelt, Truman, Eisenhower, Nixon, and George W. Bush. Guests also included Nelson Eddy. Gene Harlow, Red Skelton, Whitney Houston, Kim Basinger, skater Katrina Witt, uh, Nat King Cole, Bob Hope, Perry Como, and Frank Sinatra. In 1971, John Lennon escorted his wife Yoko Ono on her trip to Syracuse for the opening of her art exhibit, This Is Not Here, titled This Is Not Here, at the nearby Everson Museum. The couple stayed in the hotel for John's 30th birthday and were joined by Phil Spector and Ringo Starr. The couple stayed in the hotel. Oh, sorry. John asked an employee to procure some guitars. This lucky man ended up jamming with John on several songs for the party. The Lennons thoroughly enjoyed their stay and spoke highly of the hotel. A historic reunion of the Beatles was planned for Syracuse in 1974, but sadly it never took place um, anywhere. Early on, radio station WYSR moved into the hotel, which I'm assuming that's something Syracuse. W is that still a popular radio station? Do you know W? W S Y R. W S Sounds they, very familiar. They moved into the hotel and made the place famous by recording and broadcasting bands on, on in the Persian Terrace. In 1954, the television station WSYR started broadcasting a fashion show for ladies at home with a full orchestra present. The fashions were by the buyer of the Addis Company, A-D-D-I-S, who had won the award of Best Hatted Woman in Central New York <laughs> by the National Millinery Institute. The Walnut, a private dining room, became a popular officers club during World War II. The hotel's famous mural, currently being cleaned, was put up above the check-in desk in the lobby. It shows many important events in the history of the area, including the Iroquois Confederacy and the Jerry Rescue. This hotel has lots of interesting history with all types of mysteries. 
On March 22, 1954, on the ninth floor, a guest found a burglar in her room rummaging through her jewelry. The man escaped through a window. At that time, there were hotel detectives to protect guests. These employees watched out for the very well-to-do who frequented the hotel. It was around this time when par paranormal events were first recorded. Employees were reporting feeling a hand on their shoulder, but there was no one there. The mystery of the empty bucket also became one of the well-known stories where bartenders deposited the remains of drinks not finished in a bu bucket and every night they would take it to the main kitchen to be cleaned. The bucket was often found empty even when the room was locked. <laughs> the spirits are partaking in spirits. <laughs> Leftover spirits. <laughs> like any other hotel, this site has had its share of guest deaths. The most frightening occurred on New Year's Eve in 1984. In the new part of the hotel, the Hilton Tower, built around 1980, an elevator stalled with about 20 people in it. According to the Associated Press, it stopped between the 10th and 11th floors. Two men pried open, pried open the doors and helped others from the elevator onto the 10th floor. A 31-year-old man jumped into a crouching position but fell backward and fell down a 100-foot elevator shaft. The paranormal events continued. A psychic claimed there was a male ghost in room two, uh, 517. Doors would lock and unlock without individuals doing so. Stories continued to circulate among the staff about a lady in blue dress whose dress was covered in blood. Staff reported doors opening and closing by themselves, phones ringing from empty rooms, and the feeling of someone in an empty corridor with them. For 80 years, the hotel survived, but it closed its doors in 2004. However, the hotel remained secure, so the building was spared any vandalism, but still damage was done due to the deterioration of the inside. Um, but it sounds like Ben is the is the building currently operational again? I'll check what when this article was published if there's I a date. It is, um, if I'm not mistaken, I know there is a hotel Syracuse that is functioning. Yeah. Um, my understanding, I could be wrong, but my understanding is that the Marriott purchases certain like legacy. There's like a legacy program where they purchase like certain dated hotels. I think the Hotel Syracuse is one of them. That's great. Yeah, it's it gives me a like a month and a day, but not a year that this article was built. So I'm not sure exactly. Um, yeah, exactly when I think it was like the early around like 2010 to 2015. It looks like so. Yeah, that's fantastic. I hope it is operational, considering how beautiful it sounded um, and the history of what it went there through. We go. So, Looks oh. like it was closed for a decade. Oh, interesting. But, uh, wow. I'm looking, I'm looking here. Uh, after a massive $75 million restoration, the hotel Whoa. being closed for over a decade. The heart and soul of Hotel Syracuse <laughs> lives on today, continuing the legacy <laughs> of the Grand Lady of Syracuse. The Grand Lady. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that's fascinating. It had 10 years to deteriorate, which means all those ghosts were just running rampant. Just, yep. <laughs> By themselves in those hallways and bedrooms. You need to get a professional for that. <laughs> slime, you know, slime. Sli exactly. So the next one we're going to move to, still on the heavy hitters, is Onondaga Hill. And that's actually in Nidro. I'm not sure if I'm saying it the right way. Nedro or Nidro? N E D. 
R-E-W, Nedro. I will admit I'm not sure. It sounds like it would be Nedro, and which is about eight miles away from Syracuse, but this one just kept coming up over and over, so um, I wanted to just talk about it. And and I'm pretty sure I'm pronouncing it. 13 curves. Yes, exactly, right. yep. yeah. So 13 curves, this was one story that I just couldn't get away from when I was doing my research. So Onondaga Hill is haunted by the souls lost in a tragic car accident that occurred on Cedar Vale Road just about 10 miles outside of Syracuse over 60 years ago. And since, since the brutal accident, as it has been said that the road itself, which is better known by its nickname, 13 Curves, <laughs> has been haunted by the lost souls who died tragically years before. There are a variety of ways the story has been told over the years about how the road and its twisting curves have become so haunted, but the most credible legend states that the car accident involved a newly married couple who were finding their way around the ominous curves of the road when they lost control of the vehicle, veering off the road into a nearby creek. The impact of the accident killed the bride and groom instantly. Reports today state apparitions of a woman standing at the side of the road looking lost, a man seen covered head to toe in blood and even the apparition of someone carrying a glowing orange lantern has been reported and in some instances those who have encountered the phantom woman recall feeling an extreme sense of sadness and loneliness and feeling as though they are searching for something they know they will never find um is so my my question two questions are have you ever driven this crazy road <laughs> and you not go maybe stay off it <laughs> <laughs> for our, all of our benefit don't go that way <laughs> and, and did you know about the story associated with it because it did yes. it kept coming up so originally uh you you had sent over you know uh, well before recording uh, a while back kind of a list of some of the places you were going yeah. to talk about and i remember because i never thought of it as its official name like Onondaga hill mm. um i know 13 curves Interesting. you know growing up that's the one you heard so i was like i i'm gonna I'm going to have to tell her that 13 Curves isn't on this list. <laughs> oh, it that's was. funny. <laughs> it was on it this whole time. Um, but uh, 13 Curves, I, I, I knew different people who had been on this road, uh, and they had always been very disappointed. They're like, I don't know if it's haunted. I, I didn't see anything. Oh, my uh, You know, we drove by, and I didn't I didn't see a woman in white, so I don't believe in it, which, you know, that's, you know something like <laughs> elementary school, middle school. Um, but it's interesting because you're getting a lot of your classic woman in white mm -hmm. phantom hitchhiker stories yeah here, um which i've always found very fascinating sometimes you get these stories even when there's no verified accident ever taking place but you know a good amount of people do say that they see a person yeah. at the side of a road they get a feeling of sorrow um that's so very formulaic you know it's it's a very it's a very classic one and um definitely one of those yeah. urban legends i, I think yeah. it definitely qualifies more like an urban legend oh fa that's fascinating yeah it's 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 interesting to think about um how how common it is that people just see a woman in white <laughs> i've i've probably right. told i'm on my what is this episode 61 how many women in white have i talked about so far in so, all my so episodes many. so many of them that's fascinating no um that's it's really funny too because i found by far in syracuse uh we were just chatting about this how um 
before we before we record started recording which was about i found a lot of these places had like double names or were known by other names so um that's really funny that you were like 13 13 curves isn't on there yeah um, <laughs> yeah the zonadaga hill i've never heard exactly of yeah. <laughs> so next is the it's it's kind of short and sweet it's the elmcrest children's center and that's on Salt Springs Road in Syracuse. And it was constructed in 1922 as the Association for Destitute Children. The Elmcrest Children's Center in Syracuse functioned as a school and orphanage throughout the 1960s and in 1980 began to refocus on serving children with emotional and behavioral issues. Employees at Elmcrest Children's Center report witnessing the apparitions of young children late at night, as well as, excuse me, hearing the sounds of disembodied voices and hearing children crying so do you know is that not i don't know why you would have ever had reason to go to elmcrest children's center <laughs> but um but do never you know of it. it have you heard of it not never heard of it interesting well now we come to the part that i'm probably the most excited about for this whole episode i am graciously handing over the microphone to ben and he's going to tell us about split rock quarry i know nothing about it and it and it was actually hard for me to not find out about it because it kept coming up in my research and I would have to like scroll quickly past it or close my eyes while I was looking, trying to look for something else. So I am really super excited to hear about this. So thank you so much for uh, uh, being willing to talk to our listeners about it. And the mic is yours. Sure. I, I, Split Rock Quarry is one of those locations where even without any rumor of any kind of haunting, the history itself, it left this very indelible scar on, I think, the psyche of the region. Mm. Uh, I I was aware recently, like, people did, like, a small production of the events leading up to the tragedy oh. of Split Rock Quarry and everything that happened there. It's, it's definitely a big piece of history. It also left a literal mark on the land, too, as we're going to get to in a moment. Interesting. Um, I've been there twice. Um, both are very short stories, but first, uh, I think the, the basic history is kind of important to get yeah. down because it was an old limestone quarry, had this stone crusher, uh, and originally it was decommissioned around the time of World War I, and it was converted into a munitions factory, Split Rock Quarry, and it had at one point in time supplied I, I believe about 25 percent of the uh dynamite used oh. uh, by america in world war one oh that's fascinating um, and there were a lot of people there there was a lot of staff there was a lot of activity i've looked at it and today you can't when you're there you can't visualize what the structure was but if you if you look online you can see these this great building where there's just field now and none of it's there anymore um because what happened is uh there was a there was a massive explosion um uh it was uh 1918 and the munitions uh, there was a fire the fire spread and uh the munitions exploded wow uh so people inside the building perished um but that actually wasn't the worst of it. What had happened is um, there were 
tunnels that went into the quarry itself. Oh, and there were people uh, who were deeper inside the structure who were then fleeing. Again, there was this massive building there. And people are running out. And supposedly a lot of people were killed by poisonous vapors or by debris. The local lore, so take that with a grain of salt, mm. was that um, uh, sulfuric acid in the explosion was kicked into the air and then it was raining sulfuric acid, uh, killing 50 more people who wow. were fleeing from the building and then this acid rain came down. Oh, wow. Um, uh, also, uh, looking at, uh, I looked at uh, one of my favorite sources, Atlas Obscura, yes. uh, was saying that there was um, uh, a, just a fantastic amount, 1.5 million pounds of explosives stored up the hill. Whoa. And if during the fire the wind shifted, it could have wiped all of Syracuse out. Whoa. Uh, but uh, regardless, there was also conjecture of what could have caused this fire. It could have been just, you know, a fire that started, but because America was considered, you know, and prided itself on being the the armory and munition supply mm. of the West in World War One, there was conjecture if uh, Germany had any hand in sabotage. That is, that is a floated theory to this day. Oh wow! Uh, if they supplied that much towards the explosives that are then used against the Germans, wow. you could wipe out potentially a quarter of the supply of explosives with one well-placed fire. So that that is something that was talked about. But um, after that, this whole thing is burnt down and you still have the stone crusher, which is now lying amongst just fields of grass. So you can access it 24 seven. Uh, it is open to the public and you walk a short path and then you see the stone crusher in the distance set into a hill and it looks like the gates of jurassic park it is just this giant stone structure covered in graffiti wow um and there's paths i think it's like a thousand acres that area and there's this whole there's paths nearby and um it's it's not necessarily the safest place. Um, there are two tunnels that lead into the stone crusher. They do connect. I've been down there before. They kind of connect in a horseshoe shape. And then there is a deeper trail that has been blocked off. I think in the 80s they blocked it off because um, growing up, my dad had friends who played down there. Um, you know, and you could find anything. Um, the police would use an area for target practice. Uh, the municipalities would have like street signs and street lights stored down there. <laughs> Allegedly, dead bodies were down there. Oh my uh, I would say, of course they were. <laughs> now, now that that was since blocked off, though apparently there is a tunnel some ways away in another region that still used to connect these two. But the legend goes that on a rainy um, night hear the screams of those who died when the sulfuric acid rained. So with that legend in mind, uh, it's it's pretty close to the the mall that's nearby. Oh. Um, used to be the Carousel Mall, now it's Destiny. And uh, I, I, had, I had a friend visiting, we were at Destiny, and I looked it up, it was right there. So we, we went for a drive one evening 
I want to say this is back in 2016, 2017, and uh, we, we checked it out at night. And I remember getting close and hearing a howl. And one thing about Syracuse, there are a lot of coyotes. <laughs> they are very common in the area. And uh, you have coyotes, you have koi dogs. So there was a howl, it was like two miles off. And, and then we hear about a mile to the west, a howl. Then like half a mile to the east, we hear a howl. Okay, this isn't great. It's time to leave. <laughs> so we start we start running back. And I stopped dead in my tracks because we passed through the field. And I heard behind me screams. Oh, wow. Dozens of screams. And I remember thinking, it's real. <laughs> it's wow. the ghosts. But then the other part of my brain kicked into gear. I've, I've grown up in the region. I know the sounds of coyotes do tend to sound like people screaming in agony. I have um, heard that, they're yes. wonderful creatures that way. And I realized that that's just a lot of coyotes that are right around the bend now. Uh, so I ran out of there. We, we got out of there. Uh, I returned um, sometime later with uh, Jack, who's, who's my partner for Haunting Gather, and we went, and this time, like we, we had big, thick jackets, and we had, you know, shillelaghs, and we were, we were, you know, uh, we were ready. <laughs> you know, we looked like we were weathering the apocalypse. Um, you know, we were ready for business. No coyote was going to chase me out of there this time. And there's just a lot of other families there, just kind of walking around, having a nice day in the park. And I kind of felt like a fool, but. Um, but I have been there, and it's it is a fantastic place to visit, largely because um, the Stone Crusher just dominates. The yeah, landscape. that's fascinating. And, and the tunnels you can explore. Wow, that's so crazy! I this okay. This is so different than what I was expecting. I thought a quarry meant someone fell to their death, or maybe there was a spot that just had a, you know, it was like maybe the party spot that just people ended up falling, and then maybe there was lore associated with just like, oh, that spot is just cursed or something like that. Don't go there. But really, it might have been just like people getting tipsy and stumbling off like a high edge. That is so different than anything. I didn't was not expecting something where many, yep. many people perished at one time. Uh, such an extraordinary event happening. Um, that is absolutely fascinating. I was wondering too if you could help me. Um, I'm sure I can Google it, but I'll. But between the two of us, I want to post some pictures. Or if you have any you want to share with the, with our listeners, I'll post them on our social media. Because just the stone crusher, the image of the stone crusher, I, I, based off of your description, it sounds fascinating i would love to just share that and or if there's any um any pictures of the large area you think would be great for our listeners to see just let me know and we'll make sure between the two of us we get something out there because that is um that's fascinating absolutely i, I actually did take a lot of pictures awesome um and um some of them i actually uploaded to uh google oh cool um, so if you google it uh, you do get some some of the images since then they've added okay. there's like three I'm looking there's 338 images okay it's not how many I uploaded <laughs> you took uh, as I'm they're not all then you then you then get you then do get expanded lore as well because once you have you know 
here's a here's a big wild area the public isn't here and a bad thing yeah. happened here and again it's available 24 7 you're just off the beaten path yeah it's like there's this patch of forest right by downtown syracuse mm. essentially and a lot of a lot of other areas around syracuse are very wild very dense mm. um this is an interesting patch of wilderness that almost seems to have found its way into the city proper interesting and um you do get the the stories you're talking about is because the the stone crusher is is this big flat stone surface mm-hmm. built into the side of a hill but the back of the stone crusher is hill oh. so you can walk to the top the of it and look top. down from it from wow back. and there are stories of people since then who have fallen wow uh you get stories of you know um you, you, you get all the greatest hits you get satanic yeah. sacrifice mm. you get um you know murderer camp there mm. uh i'm it, i will say as i'm scrolling through these pictures i'm seeing someone like holding pr- proudly holding up a ouija board oh my god on the top you know <laughs> so if it wasn't haunted i'm sure you know some clown's gone and made it haunted since then um so it's it's in that way it's kind of an evolving yeah uh, haunted attraction i'm very surprised that the city allows or the town allows it to be accessible 24 7 no sense that's so crazy that's so unsafe (laughs) having having been there and and i always i always decry i always mourn just how much is posted property in the wilderness how much is off limits Mm -hmm. um this really should, I feel like, be <laughs> off limits if anything was. This, yeah. this is a place that is right? so hazardous. <laughs> I don't understand how people are just allowed to yes. walk there. That is but, so crazy. Wow. Yeah. Do you think you will be going back in the future? Is it a place that calls to you yeah. to definitely at least go back? It was just cool yeah, to explore. Just fun. That's what I liked about wow. it. Is Having been there twice and not experiencing anything strange, mm-hmm. it was a pleasant, adventurous outing. If you're looking, so great. getting a little bit more of a thrill, yeah, um, than just you know walking through a park, yeah. Uh, it, it to me, it felt more adventurous than haunted. When I there. Did you go in the tunnel when you were there, the one accessible tunnel? Yes, That's I was convinced so cool. to map it out. I was going to... Oh. I've heard the stories of how extensive it is. I'm going to map it out. Yeah. Uh, it's just a U these days. Because oh, interesting. Because I walked off that other area. Yeah. Cool. So you can walk it all in five minutes. Oh, wow. Well, thank you so very much for like taking it upon yourself to, uh, to do the research. And I really appreciate you sharing the historical research behind the place as well. So thank you so much for sharing that with us. Um, that is absolutely fascinating. Yeah, I just absolutely. assumed Corey meant someone drowned because <laughs> it had been since been means, filmed. Yeah. <laughs> so that's really crazy. And that's pretty heavy. That's a heavy thing for the city to have dealt with. It makes me think around that time. Um, yeah, that's that's crazy to have that many people. So that's awesome. 
So the next thing we're gonna move on to is, I just basically found a bunch more locations that were kind of like short but sweet, but they have to do with Syracuse, so I just thought, let's talk about them. So the next one is called the Syracuse Stage, which was formerly known as the Regent Theater, and we've got another lady in a color. <laughs> this time it's the lady in red, not the lady oh, in white. The, known as the lady in red, the Syracuse Stage's spirit shows off a playful presence and is reportedly felt whenever a contemporary actress has to appear dressed in bright red, perhaps energy generated by a snit of jealousy <laughs> or just an attempt to upstage another and remind us that she can still perform. In any case, the lady in red periodically adds a bit of additional fun and excitement to the cultural scene. Um, so do you, are, is the Saratoga stage something you know where that is, the, formerly the Regent Theater? Uh, so the, the Syracuse stage, I have, I've heard of the Regent Theater, I have never been there. Mm. Awesome. Next we're going to go. No, no, lady. <laughs> Next, we have two cemeteries, and I'm curious if you know about either of these. The first one is Woodlawn Cemetery, and just really short and sweet, basically strange sounds are heard, EVPs have been captured, and a glowing white ghost sometimes appears to be chasing you as you explore around the cemetery at night. Um, so Woodlawn Cemetery, do you know that cemetery? I have been to Woodlawn a couple times, um, and... Uh, I, wa I wandered around it. Uh, I was there after dark both times, and uh, I remember being terrified. Oh, wow. uh, this was, I, I think I was like, I was 16 yeah. when I went through there. Uh, nothing out of the ordinary happened. It's a, it's a very pleasant cemetery. Um, now that being said, every time you go somewhere, it's not like something happens, but um, I remember distinctly there is a spot where there's gravel by the cremated, you know, the, the kind of the crematorium memorials. Yeah. And I remember walking on the gravel and me and the friend I was with freaked out because the sound of the gravel under our feet bounced off of the walls oh, yeah. and made such like a strange chirping sound. We both jumped and was like, what was that? <laughs> um, those were in my very early days, kind of starting yes. to, to wander through cemeteries. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, no, I had been to Woodlawn. We were cool. looking for the figure in white that chases you. I think I looked at yeah. the same website that you did. Oh, that's funny. It, says, it will chase you out. It will chase you. We were terrified of that, uh, but nothing happened. The the next cemetery is Oakwood Cemetery. Have you been to that one? Is And like, second question is, is one more notorious than the other in the area? More well-known? Um, I've... I think I've been to Oakwood as well. I've been to a couple Syracuse cemeteries. And I can't remember which. Woodlawn, I think, is the one that's a little bit more notorious. notorious. Uh, and I don't think I've been to Oakwood. I'm looking at some images now of Oakwood to see if mm. it sparks any memory. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I haven't been to Oakwood. Just because it looks like the architecture, there's a, you know, of some of the mausoleums and the archways. I remember because mm -hmm. it almost looks like there's just like a, a castle in the middle of it. Oh, interesting. Um, but um, uh, Woodlawn, I have certainly been to. Uh, and then there's a couple other cemeteries in the region. You know, they all have their, their rumors. Interesting. Um, I don't think I've been here. 
so we're going to actually watch a video from um, the Central uh, New York Ghost Hunters on CNY News, Central News. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and get that set up and we'll watch that together. Awesome. We're now taking a look at a spooky, haunted local graveyard. Yeah, our Brandon Roth, he paid a visit to the Oakwood Cemetery here in Syracuse, where some say there's a whole lot of paranormal activity happening there. Take a walk into Oakwood Cemetery, and you'll find yourself surrounded by historic graves. But some people say that's not all you'll find here. I believe that Oakwood is, is haunted. Ghost hunters Gina Cook and Caroline Lampley say... Over the years, there have been numerous reports of paranormal activity in the cemetery. I have had some experiences in the cemetery. I've seen some uh, apparitions, like sort of white apparitions. I've seen glowing balls of light in the older section of the cemetery. Ghost hunters theorize that spirits communicate at a frequency the human ear simply cannot hear. So they use these voice recorders, and when they play them back, they pick up sounds, voices, even whispers, as clear as day. Cook and Lampley are members of Central New York Ghost Hunters, Inc. This is the grave of Laura. A group dedicated to investigating ghost sightings and understanding what the spirits of the dead are trying to tell us. Some of them, I believe, have, have messages they want to express that maybe they felt that they weren't able to get across in their lifetime. While some may question whether there are really ghosts in Oakwood Cemetery, these ghost hunters have no doubts. Oh, they're out there. <laughs> they're out there loud and clear. So if you find yourself in Oakwood Cemetery, take a good look around. You may not be alone. So the next one that I wanted to talk about is the Butterfield House at Syracuse University. And um, I'm sure everybody knows where Syracuse University is, but does this house, it's a fe all-female dorm, um, but is this something you've kind of maybe heard about? It looks like there's a lot of lore behind it. I have not heard about this one before. Well, that's good. I get to tell you a new, another no, new story. <laughs> So at the Butterfield House, it's Syracuse University's only all-female dorm, there is something scary living among the 36, 36 freshman girls in the house. I think Butterfield is really haunted, freshman biology major Kalila Hyde said. The Butterfield resident said weird dreams, sleek sleepwalking and creaky doors are all common. And I just wanted to say this is from a... Um, a blog post through the university that was published about 12 years ago so she is no longer living there and dealing with these spirits but somebody else's <laughs> it's an old house so you can just chalk it up to that hyde said although she ref herself refuses to believe it but yeah, no, you can't you can't chalk up sleepwalking to it's an old house exactly no <laughs> and she refuses to believe yeah. it well that makes sense you shouldn't yeah, believe glad. it <laughs> Exactly. 
So it's located at 709 Comstock Avenue, and it's the former house of the female fraternity Alpha Gamma Delta. The residence was the fourth Alpha, Alpha Gamma Delta house on campus and was completed in 1928, according to a fall artic- 2005 article in the Alpha Gamma Delta Quarterly. <laughs> I'll have to read that. The crest of that sorority still appears on the front of the house and on the fireplace in the main lounge. A wood staircase, oriental rugs, and a stone foyer set the house apart. The house has been rented to Syracuse University since 2005 and after the sorority's charter was removed due to a lack of membership around the 2000s around 2000-2001. Butterfield has been uh, leased to the Syracuse University until around July 2011, according to the housing office. Lindsay Lichtenstein, junior communication sciences and disorders major, lived in Butterfield during 2007 to 2008 school year. It's a creepy building. There's definitely something there, Lichtenstein said. She said doors would randomly open and close when she lived there. She remembered the resident advisors arranging for a ghost interpreter to come look in the basement of Butterfield around Halloween. She said the interpreter brought a machine that would beep when it encountered a high-frequency area, which indicated paranormal activity. The machine beeped when it passed over stains on the house's basement floor. The basement is always kept locked and is a source of much speculation for the Butterfield residents. So that's terrifying <laughs> to live in a house with. Don't go in. You can't go in there. And like, by the way, by the way the, there's weird stains. <laughs> you gotta stay out of it. But you can't go there and you gotta walk by it's it a locked. lot though. <laughs> Don't worry about it, it's locked. <laughs> the basement where the uh, sorority's study lounge was located is described as set aside by itself where no noise from above may penetrate. Um, that's creepy unto itself. The chapter. All the descriptions <laughs> of the house are the scariest part exactly. of the story. Exactly. So <laughs> They're terrifying. The chapter room is located in the basement and it was used for, here we go. Uh, sorority meetings but also rituals (laughs) it's currently a storage area held for the old sorority belongings chelsea kleckner a freshman communications and rhetorical studies major is a current resident well was at that time she noticed the basement was unlocked one night and (laughs) decided to explore with her roommate of course it was really spooky she said even with the lights all on i heard loud noises like someone was walking downstairs but no one was was actually coming down the stairs she said that ever since she moved into butterfield her and her roommate have experienced strange dreams and sleepwalked into the main lounge kleckner said neither have ever sleptwalked before freshman marketing major danny d'angio said she and the other girls were in the main lounge one evening when the lights in the entire house shut off for five or ten minutes for no apparent reason (laughs) d'angio said the house definitely had a creepy past she has heard ghost stories about former uh sorority occupants who went missing or died none of those stories have proven to be true there's no evidence A freshman uh, named Jessica, uh, I'm not sure how to say this, Afariri, said the house is not scary to her. She said it actually has a homey feel. And she said the squeaky floors are are the only thing that bothers her. She said, sometimes when I know I'm the only one walking and I stop, I still hear the squeaks. Um... 
John Rocky. But other than that, it's not smooth. <laughs> exactly. What another person that was there, John Rockwell, heard a scream one night. It was more of a shriek, like no one was playing around. That it was like serious. Um, he was. They are a sophomore philosophy major who lives on the 18th floor of Lawrenson Hall. I was all alone and checked, but saw nothing. And we and I thought it was the Lawrenson ghost. And now I'm thinking, did this jump to another building? Um, yeah, so I guess another building. And so students on the 18th, 19th, and 20th floors of Syracuse University's Lawrenson Hall have heard noises on their floors for years. Last year, three students and um, this is so specific to the their degrees and the classes they're taking that we don't need last year yeah, three students <laughs> in peter moeller's com 200 class created a movie about the ghost in which students like rockwell said they heard horrific screams in the night and heard people moving through the floors when no one was there and students who live there now recount similar experiences a, um, my roommate had some weird experiences, said Selena Moore, a freshman philosophy major who lives on the 19th floor of Lawrenson. She thinks I'm in the room when I'm not. She hears noises noises like I'm moving around, but I'm not there, and she does get pretty creeped out. Um, Kevin Chick, who lives on the 19th floor of Lawrenson, hears something a little different. He said, there are some noises around 5 a.m. When everyone is sleeping, I do hear talking in the night, and then I go look and no one is ever there. Ashley Lawton, a freshman who lives on the uh, 20th floor, hears yet another sound. She always hears clicks coming from the walls in the middle of the night. She said it's inside the walls from the ceiling and lasts throughout the whole night, but I can only hear it when it's getting late, but it's a constant clicking noise. Um, Lawton, Ashley Lawton, this freshman, plans to make her own movie about the Lawrence and ghosts. Um, and then two other uh, freshmen, they always remembered hearing rumors of a ghost. So they had a ghost hunt on the top three floors one year. They said the hunt was technically called a, a ghost walk and nothing conclusive came out of it. While the origin of the origin of the ghosts remain unknown, some students who live on the top floors didn't even realize that it was purportedly haunted. I haven't heard anything, says Meg Horahan, a resident of the 18th floor. And now, thanks a lot, I'm going to be scared every night. <laughs> um, so it sounds like a lot of people have heard all these, um, they've had... Uh, paranormal experiences and it says while paranormal experiences seen in other locations on the campus are not common some students have experienced weird happenings um all throughout in different buildings so it's uh it's interesting that yeah, and i'm not surprised I, I i think that the uh that first that you mentioned that mm. that sorority house is mm. the most interesting because you know having anything that is um, influencing people in a way to sleepwalk and have weird yeah. dreams. That's a different caliber than a lot of these old houses. You could get uh, phantom type apparitions, which is going to be more of a playback reel. Um, but then once it starts messing in such a strange way when people's guards are down, yeah, that's it kind of belies something more intelligent happening. Um, and hearing it described as, it was spooky. <laughs> I was creeped out. <laughs> um, is odd. Um, yeah. Have, I think that's the most interesting one yet. Yeah, that's honestly, interesting. Especially if so many people over time lived there. Yeah. And it was known. Oh, you're sleepwalking. That's the <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> we keep the basement door locked. <laughs> that's the best uh, part. 
wild. Yeah, that's crazy. I have to say that I had, I know sleep paralysis is another thing that's kind of fascinating to to look at different cases and see the commonalities between them. And I I always think of it as just a um, just a time in my life that something was going on that psychologically caused it. But there was an apartment that from like the night I moved in until the night I moved out, I had sleep paralysis every night and um, I was sleepwalking <laughs> and I'd never done that like before or since in my life. And um, in the sleep, sleep paralysis, you see the craziest things like you see figures in the room yes. with you. And I felt like it felt like someone like sat on the side of the bed. And then if I was sleeping it, they, actually like like laid down on top of me and just put their full body yep. weight and I would feel like yep. breathing on, on my chest. neck yeah and breathing yep. I always slept on my stomach so it was always like my back but in that area I okay. would feel it the heaviest basically were exactly my chest area and um were your, were your eyes ever open um when that happened and you felt any weight on your back yes and it would be I would never be able to speak I would be paralyzed in my mouth because I lived with a girl named Shannon and I would always um it, it happened where what would happen is I would lay I, I always sleep on my stomach so I'd be laying with like one arm under me and the bed was just I, I was just on the edge of the bed the door to the room was there and I would wake up and see the torso of a man I could never move my head to look up or down to see the feet or above but I always just saw like from basically the thighs to maybe like the the breast area and um and I would try to scream Shannon and my mouth would just gasp like barely gasp and then I would see the figure move and then it would and then I'd feel the weight and the breathing I'd feel I'd feel it lay on my and then the breathing on my neck and I would be gasping for her the whole time and screaming for her and I never knew if she was home she actually stayed at her boyfriend's like the majority of the time so um but it was it was so weird because it was just just in that apartment and, and as soon as I left and this it never happened since then but from a psychological standpoint I was working three jobs I was a I was a I think a senior. I think that was my senior year in col uh, my undergrad. I was working three jobs, and and like they were, I would work to like three a.m. at one job some nights, and have to be up at six a.m. before classes to go to another. So I was running on like virtually no sleep a lot of the time. It didn't feel like I was tired because I was like twenty. Now I'm in my mid thirties, and I could never, I could never live that way. Well, I think that that's also that's that's pretty. Um, when this does happen to people, they tend to be younger. Mm. Their bodies are still growing. Oh, that's interesting. I never evolving. realized that. Um, you get it all around the world, and it can affect people at later ages, but typically, uh, exactly what you're describing, it's going to be um, a weight on the chest or the back. Yes. But it's not... What's interesting is, regardless of how the person's positioned sleeping, it's the weight is on them. Yeah. Um, now, were you still awake where, like, once you felt the weight depart, you were able to freely move yeah, it without was, transitioning into another like waking stage. Uh, from what I remember, this was this was about fifteen, God, about fifteen, sixteen. Well, maybe even like actually seventeen years ago now. Um, from what I remember, yes, because I remember I always remember thinking that it was always the gasping and i and i remembered that transition of being conscious from my mouth not being able to work and my vocal cords not being able to work to work and it was almost like my hand was asleep and i just had to kind of get it do it enough that it would work again so i do remember 
there being it being the same amount of consciousness while it was happening to when the weight would lift um but i could not move for a long time and the, the other thing that just psychologically i think affected me part of it was the bedroom it was a fully furnished apartment and the bedroom had a it was the back like fire it was a covered fire escape so it was basically a back stairwell and we were in the attic apartment and so the furnished the finished attic apartment and the back door just i had two doors in my bedroom one to go in the apartment and then one to go in this really creepy hallway that went three floors down did not have light bulbs and like the it was just an old albany apartment that was just creepy and the and it had a glass pane in it so i mean there was no window outside in the hallway so it was just a glass pane to pitch black so there were curtains hung so my mind always ran away with me that like someone could be easily watching me and so i like hung posters and sheets over it and it freaked me out and um yeah it was weird and there was an there was another aspect to the house that was very odd that the woman on the second floor i think it was the second floor or the floor under she suffered from some sort of mental illness she had she had this increasing paranoia over the year that we lived there and so it was just creepy that this all happened at the same time so I think my mind ran away with me it got to the point where I was taking the back stairwell voluntarily to leave because she would wait for us at our apartment door if she heard us leaving and she was accusatory and she was like screaming at us and she had started off very kindly and sweetly and um, it got to the point where we like physically were worried about kind of our safety when we were around her so um uh my friend just ended up staying at hers but i was like if i don't have to i was like what's the lesser of two evils facing this woman or walking down the creepy (laughs) dark stairs it's interesting though because i've I've heard of people talk about similar situations where they're they're with some other people or friends at an apartment and then over time some people start to some strange things happen and over time one or two people change mm. um i'll also think one one thing to point out is this whole sleep paralysis oh god like i i could give a whole spiel on it which yeah. which i won't it's just <laughs> something i've always been fascinated by yeah. because it's one of those things where we can explain it up to a point mm. we can explain physically why it happens and, and you know your body paralyzes when you sleep especially younger people when your nerves are developing sometimes you can be unfortunate enough to be conscious during that horrific event yeah of being paralyzed we're paralyzed every night but you're unconscious for it sometimes yeah it might not be especially if you're younger now the part that's not explained that interests me is the fact that these things that are then experienced are so universal so many people describe uh i know some people argue it's like a jungian archetype that this is we're all going to perceive an old hag or a shadow man in a hat as the apparition or could it be that unfortunately regardless of whether we're awake or asleep while we're our most vulnerable it could be very common that there is something wandering that likes to take advantage of it. Yeah. Maybe everyone yeah. does have the man by their bed. Yeah. Most of us just happen to sleep through it. Exactly. <laughs> then your mind. Thought. That's crazy. I I um, was curious yeah. what what your thoughts of, uh, in particular were of that because um, I'm fascinated by by how um like beautifully you're able to kind of uh be objective in these kind of things so so thank you (laughs) so that's fascinating thank you um i mean that was one of the questions i was asking which was 
When you felt the thing on your back, did you ever have any lights on? Never, because it was always like in the dead of night. It was always, yeah, nope, not that I can remember. All right, so next up we have Western Lights Shopping Center, and that apparently is allegedly built over the site of an ancient Native American burial ground. So shoppers at Western Lights Plaza report witnessing mysterious glowing orbs and shadowy apparitions at night. And this one was kind of hard for me to find. And I found a Pinterest article about it that said it was part of a book uh, on haunted folklore of that region, but it wouldn't tell me what that folklore was. So I finally found this little snippet. So I'm curious, is this one like lesser known? Did you, did you, have you shopped there and not known there might be ghosts? (laughs) Western Lights. I know there was a mall by where I grew up called Northern Lights. Mm. Um, oh, that's funny. It says it's on Onondaga Boulevard, if that helps. <laughs> no. So, uh, I'm actually pretty bad with streets, <laughs> I will admit. Uh, I need to take a GPS everywhere yeah. I go. Yeah, and Syracuse is pretty big, too, I think, right? To know all of the, <laughs> each and yeah, every street. I, that's the, I'll take that excuse. That's great. Thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, that, that is an interesting thing, though, is I, especially if it's hard to, I find, like, follow the lead. That seems to be the catch-all that people, especially in upstate New York and in other regions, like to do is they say, ah, Native American burial grounds. Yes. And I, to me, it's, that has actually been always one of my biggest pet peeves. Mm, that's interesting. Um, because one, um, I think that it's a very convoluted form of victim blaming that comes into folk culture and folklore where a lot of people take it for granted you hear it on ghost shows all the time you know yeah. it was built on native american burial grounds first of all um that's usually not verified you know it's just people lived there it's just where it's where <laughs> you know a lot of first nations uh indigenous americans lived and of course probably someone died there at some point in time but uh, I, I find that it, it's this snake eats the, its tail mm-hmm. sort of storytelling. This is a lot, again, in the Syracuse region, has a lot of it because there's a lot of reservations in central New York as well. That's right. So a lot of people tell stories in this particular way where they say, oh yeah, the, uh, this house was built on Native American burial grounds, and that's why people get all these crazy things that happen, and someone set a curse upon it. And uh, that it's it's always seemed a little bit um, disingenuous to me when people disseminate that story because what you're doing is on the one hand it's oh uh, white people took that land and now they believe they, they're they're cursed and they deserve it but the problem mm. is in that storytelling there's this other quiet subtext happening of but the victims cursed everybody that even after death they still did something wrong and that they're mystical yeah any of them cast a curse when they're just mysticism you know they're most most cultures aren't more mystical than any other culture uh and it's and it's just anytime and what i found is it doesn't delegitimize the story that the place is haunted Mm. i have found that that usually is one of the red flags for when I hear that it can mean we're not sure why these things are happening. Interesting. So 
it's, you know, we found arrowheads here once. Yeah. It's gotta be burial grounds. <laughs> yes. So that's... that's, I'll get off my soapbox now. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's that's fascinating though, because I'm so close to you, a stone's throw away, but the culture around here, growing up with reservation there are none around here so there's no recognition of those things there's no interaction with that there's no consideration of it so i mean by all means that folklore that age-old tale of it's buried on it that is every that is here too but the idea that you have this other level of consideration for it is really really fascinating and no I, I i love that i was really curious about that one because it seems like a place that um yeah it just seemed like a place that was out of all the places we've talked about thus far i was like that's probably the one that isn't it always is running true. on the thinnest thread yes be, yes exactly when you don't yes. know why the place <laughs> Uh, I looked. I looked through the historic records. There haven't been any murders. Yeah. There was no cults. <laughs> yes. This is like exactly. Uh, you know, I, I mean, central New York. You throw a stone. Someone built a house there and started a exactly. cult. Exactly. <laughs> at some point in time. That's so true. And if the stone falls in the woods, you say it was Native American burial. Yeah. It's just what a lot of people fall back to. In the five one eight, it's Dutch people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what you go to. <laughs> is. Dutch settlers, something spooky. Yeah. Uh, or redcoats. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Hessians, a lot of yeah. Hessians. Yes. Hessian soldiers. Yeah. It's a classic. The um, guest I had on this past weekend, he's like a history buff for the area, and he lives where right next to like the Battle of Saratoga took place, and um, a lot of his paranormal research centered around exactly that. He said Hessian soldiers many a time in that episode that he that came up in his research as having. Um, oh yes, historically, but also paranormally. So that's really interesting. That that's funny that you say that because that's that's exactly, yeah. He found exactly the same case. So that's so funny. Well, the next one we're gonna move on to is the Wayside Irish Pub, and that is in Elbridge, New York. So that is not terribly far from Syracuse. All of these, I believe, I had a few of them. I have. Uh, actually listed the mileage. I didn't put for Elbridge how far it was, but I'm thinking it's just within a couple miles outside of Syracuse. And um, this one, so the original building, also known as the Monroe House, Monroe is spelled M-U-N-R-O. It was built in the 1800s. Reports of ghostly activity at the location date back to at least the 1960s. While the building was closed after a second fire, a passerby looking in the window saw a transparent woman in a long dress on the stairs. There have been numerous reports of the apparition named Sarah since this event. Sarah is believed to be the young girl who hung herself on the third floor. Since the 1960s, there have been many sightings of various ghostly beings and reports of paranormal events in the building. Most of the poltergeist-like activity is attributed to a friendly ghost named Harry. However, there are other ghosts also thought to be spending their afterlife in this building. They include the inn's original owner, Squire Monroe, and an unknown traveler who died in the building. 
Multiple reports from employees and patrons tell of a male figure dressed in a soldier uniform and shadow figures in the basements. Many of the patrons and bartenders have felt touches, pokes, and cold spots, and it's not unusual to have a female patron complain of having her hair tugged when no one is around her, and you're also liable to see a glass fly off the bar without explanations. And pictures just might drop off the walls or an orb may show up in a photo you've taken there. So I was thinking, have you ever had a drink at the Wayside Irish Pub? <laughs> I haven't. I, I did move out of central New York uh, before I was 21. And uh, there just aren't many pubs that I've been to, but I do like a good haunted pub. And me too. Because <laughs> uh, they're not... They're not scary is the thing. Like, yeah. you can always be in the mood for a haunted pub. Uh, <laughs> you know, because there's going to be other people there shoulder it's so to shoulder. True. Maybe I see a napkin move. That's yeah. Fine. Oh, that's so true. The the um, the sentiment at a pub is anything but scary, <laughs> haunted or not. And then the next one we have is, it's called the uh, Ancestors Inn at the Bassett House. And that's in Liverpool, which is about five miles away from Syracuse. And this is from an article written by someone named Joan Nickel in um, 2018. And it looks like it. this place is closed now. I mean, it has been about four years, but um, I just thought this was really interesting. So Joe writes, it is closed now, but in September 2002, I stayed at a quote-unquote haunted mansion in Syracuse known as Ancestors Inn at the Bassett House. And it was Friday the 13th. <laughs> the mansion is located in Liverpool, New York, near Syracuse, where courtesy of central New York skeptics, I was speaking at both the Museum of Science and Technology and the Onondaga Community College while I was there. <laughs> it is a restored brick Italianate house of the 1850s, and curiously, it appears to have had no ghost history prior to October 1998 when Mary and Dan Weidman opened it as a bed and breakfast. Curiously also, the supposed ghostly phenomenon began with Mary. During the two-month period when the Weidmans were getting their new business ready, after she had finished for the day, she would turn off the lights. But then from outside, she would look back up at the window and see the lights on again. This happened on a few occasions, but not every time. She thought the original residents, the Bassets, were doing this to welcome them. Such is magical thinking. <laughs> the room in question was at the front of the house and believed to have been the Bassets' original bedroom. A lamp in that room was central to the mystery, and I found that it had a touch-on-and-off action to it. I thought a flying insect might have been responsible, but Dan, an electrical engineer by training, had linked the phenomenon to a refrigerator in the hallway used to keep close, used to keep cold drinks for guests. When it kicked on, sometimes the lamp, the lamp turned on as well. Occasionally, objects would, see, would seem to have transported. Cameras were especially susceptible to this, and guests would later find their cameras in different places than where they thought they had left them. And as one soon learns in researching alleged hauntings, however, a single incident is likely to become multiple occurrences in a retelling, a habit of raconteurs. In any case, people are often absent-minded, and the fact that it is typically the root of what we may term the ghost-moved-it phenomenon. 
Once, the Weidman's teenage son became ill and during the night had an interesting experience. He reported that from time to time, he had been awakened by a large African-American man in period-style clothes who gave him either water or his medicine. He regarded the ghost as very comforting. The obvious explanation, of course, is that the apparition was a common type of hallucination known as a waking dream, an experience that occurs between fully asleep or fully awake and has features of both. In this instance, due to at least in part of potentially the medication as well. If a parent had in fact occasionally awakened him, he or she could easily have become the son's apparitional figure. Mrs. Weidman had jokingly told me when I checked in that ghosts were good for business. Whatever was behind the closing of the inn a decade later, I am convinced ghosts were not responsible. That was interesting to hear, kind of like, usually we don't hear it from a skeptic skeptic's point of view so that was fun you know and i a skeptic is one of those um one of those types of people i've found where similar to what people will say about vegans or people who do crossfit they will (laughs) remind you every chance they get that they're a skeptic and a lot of them are weirdly obsessed with these things that they've said that they don't believe in Mm, and seem to waste a lot of time (laughs) Uh, but there's a difference between a skeptic and an objectivist I will will point out that in this article the author does make some really good points about absolutely one thing goes missing and suddenly anytime anything gets lost it's a ghost and of course a hotel in central New York, in Liverpool, yeah. of all places, ghosts are good for business. Um, what did they say? It was the ghost moved it, quote unquote, the ghost moved the it ghost phenomena. Moved it, <laughs> which, now, because I, I think I mentioned earlier, there was a portation where an object moves mm-hmm. uh, from one place to another. And there are times it can be documented after a period of time, you know that this is happening. Um, mm. It's different when good guests come in and out and they're just like, I can't find my dang camera. camera. <laughs> oh, it's the ghost, sir. <laughs> uh, I, and they're going to love that. They're going to eat yeah. that up. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the son uh, was given medicine and water by a man at the side of his bed. So one thing that wasn't clear is did he, was the figure offering him medicine and water or was he actually thinking he got medicine and water from this thing yeah um because if he actually took medicine that he knows he is supposed to take that does sound like a like a waking dream because nothing is going to actually be giving you medicine on a tray and if someone else looked in the room they'd see a little floating tray yes Um, absolutely but if it's just someone offering water and medicine um that that's a different thing altogether uh, one thing that I, I watch out when someone shows their their skeptic badge uh, proudly is they their sometimes their explanations can become more complicated than just the possibility of a ghost. That, you know, eventually you take these ten separate weird things that happen. Well, that happened because bad wiring. Well, that happened because there's a chance that this person suffers from a type of sleep paralysis, which would allow. And it just keeps going down this list until you're like, oh, well, if the refrigerator was open and the peanut butter and felly fell out (laughs) and there was a there was a a mouse that then got electrocuted, it it can become very convoluted. That's so Uh, true. But this this does kind of sound I'm going to have to give him the point there. (laughs) It does kind of sound like the place was just (laughs) maybe a 
normal place. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's fascinating. I always enjoy, especially not having read the article fully prior and being just as pleasantly surprised as anyone else listening. I always enjoy when it's a different point of view because most of these stories I tell are pretty adamant something's happening and a lot of the time they seem exaggerated. So I really do appreciate that. So that's so fun. The next one we're going to head to is the Walnut West Apartments. Short but sweet, but the local legend says that one of the Walnut West Apartments is haunted and tenants tend to move out immediately. The ghost is said to be a little girl who was killed on the same spot when the when the land that now holds the apartment complex was a farm. Again, going back to the land. <laughs> Can you feel that? This is already a very different tone. <laughs> The next one is Carnegie's, I think I'm saying that, Carnegie's Pier 57 Restaurant. Okay. Is, I thought, uh, how is it spelled? Car, uh, Car- Carnegie, C-A-R-N-E-G-I-E apostrophe S. Carnegie's? So, yeah, I, I think it's Carnegie. If, okay. I don't know if you want to edit this, but I, I don't want to sound like <laughs> No, that's okay. Like, I'm pretty sure it's, it's uh, Carnegie's. Carnegie's. Or... It, if I'm wrong, I'm confident other people in the region would call it Carnegie's. <laughs> we'll go with Carnegie's. Okay. I I have gotten feedback um, from listeners saying uh, I'm terrible at pronouncing things correctly. I, well, I do that all the time. Is that yeah. I like I read a lot. Yeah. And I will only see a word on paper. And when the big day comes where I have to make sounds, see, <laughs> exactly. Bad things happen. So I'm going to go with Carnegie's, and it's also, I meant to mention too, the Walnut West Apartments are in Camillus, which was about five miles away. Now we're heading back to Liverpool, again, only about five miles away for uh, Carnegie's Pier 57 restaurant. Short but sweet also, and it says, now it's known as Nick and Angelo's Restaurante. This restaurant is located on Oswego Road in Liverpool, New York. Local storytelling shares that many people believe that many years ago, a man shot his wife on the premises. Some previous and current staff members and patrons say that they have seen her cold, ghostly apparition appear along with an overwhelming sense of uneasiness and dread. And that's Carnegie. So it's now it's Nick and Angelo's Restaurante. <laughs> Is this Liverpool like... Liverpool wouldn't be a place that maybe where you lived, that would be a place to maybe go out to eat in. Oh, is no, that close? Absolutely. Is um, it? Okay. Yeah. So, so, uh, when you're in Clay, North Syracuse, Cicero mm. area, uh, Liverpool is pretty close by. Interesting. Uh, so growing up, we'd go to Liverpool for their, their library. Oh, nice. Um, they, they have the lake, uh, right by there. Um, so we would do. A lot of a lot of family events. The the park right by there. We would do a lot of time in Liverpool. Oh nice. Um, so I don't I don't know if I've eaten there. I know I've at least heard of the place, mm. and I may or may not have had maybe takeout from there. <laughs> there you go. Then we're gonna the next three. We're getting like a little bit farther and farther away. So I'm curious if you've been to these locations also, not just the haunted location, but the town. The next the next one is the Brickyards and Warner, and it says Warner's about nine miles away. 
And it's so, so it says this area of Cam- Camillus, and you actually might know that better. Is it Camillus? Camillus, yeah. Camillus. So the area of Camillus is famous for its Onondaga brick. One of the brickyards here is also infamous for being haunted, some say by a gargoyle. <laughs> Locals, however, are a bit mystified by the stories. While they admit the brickyards can be creepy, you'll be hard-pressed to find anyone who's actually seen something paranormal here. So this one's kind of like an extravagant claim, but then no kind of... Uh, evidence to back it up quote unquote evidence but i just thought that was interesting of all things a, a gargoyle a gargoyle yeah because we're getting we're getting pretty buffy the vampire slayer suddenly <laughs> yeah. of uh, a gargoyle that's gargoyle uh, i know camillus and yeah. I, I think i've been by the brickyards and this is this is one of those things where you get this like weird local cryptid yeah uh that the locals will be like that's not a thing i've been there 40 years 50 years there's no gargoyle but you always get some teenager who's like nah there is i was there this one time there is a gargoyle (laughs) that's so funny uh the next one we're moving a little bit farther again i don't know if i'm saying this right chittenango Chittenango. Chittenango, yes. Chittenango. So we're going to Gulf Road in Chittenango. Chittenango. So it's a dark, winding, heavily wooded path in Chittenango. Gulf Road is believed to be heavily haunted by locals. Shadow figures have been seen darting across the street, and the specter of a woman often stands on the side of the road. Some some have seen white glowing orbs in the woods and heard unexplained noises on the road. Others have reported burning crosses in the woods. Oh, that's interesting. Yes, so I've heard of Gulf Road. I'm racking my brain and I'm actually looking right now. On what I've been doing is, as you are reading all of yeah. these, I am on my phone furiously, like yeah. <laughs> looking, looking at things satellite up. images. Gulf Road is <laughs> one of those places that sounds so familiar to me. I was Let wondering just... too if that had, if that stuck out because it's an it's an outdoor location close to the woods. And after hearing about like your story of going to the quarry and just knowing how like how much the woods feel full of something out there i was curious if this road and uh, knowing 13 curves if maybe this was like a big one for locals so that's the thing is this one i haven't heard this is sounding so familiar to me it might be because of gulf lake in the Uh adirondacks is what i might be thinking of but um, or is that Gull Lake? I don't know anything. <laughs> Why am I on your podcast right now? Uh, but uh, one thing for sure is that uh, I definitely want to check this one out because yeah. this one, I will say, is more up my alley. One big thing with uh, yeah. what we're doing with uh, the Haunt and Gather project is our focus is almost exclusively on the things that happen outdoors. Interesting. Because it's separated enough from the human element Mm. where, you know, we're not talking about a bed and breakfast where there's a Civil War soldier uh, who moves your camera or some nonsense. (laughs) This is, once you get onto some desolate road at night and there's shadow figures something very different is happening Mm. and i have found uh for anyone listening who would want to potentially go out and find a ghost 
you are going to be so much more likely to be successful if you are going to one of these remote active locations. Wow. One reason being, most haunted houses, even the most haunted houses, when you get this big list of places that are active, they're not as active as they sound. Mm. These stories you're hearing are over 30 years, 100 yeah. years. But when enough people tell a story about a remote location, yet you still get enough people talking about it, where it still generates stories, it's mm. typically far more active. That's fascinating. Yeah, people always say, just remember that half hour, hour show you see on TV is a culmination of like 72 plus hours of recording and they and what did they get 25 seconds total of something interesting and you always i always have to remind myself of that that is really fascinating too to think about um how it if enough people are talking about it and then you go there and that's what you found in your experience so that's that's fascinating yeah it's and that is another thing like you're saying on the TV shows that are a half hour, one hour is sometimes that's why I know that certain networks have put mm. pressure on people who started this with very good intentions yeah. to maybe fake some audio sounds because yeah. they understand the craft does not make for good television. Yeah. I'm going to, the most interesting part of those shows really is the human element. Yeah. Interviewing the people, but the actual lights out. Yes. <laughs> yes. Is, uh, I actually, there's a there's a house call that we're working on right now mm. where we're talking to someone and they they wanted us to potentially look at their house and we're considering that at some point when the weather's nicer mm. <laughs> but but one thing that we pointed out is that that's not actually a priority uh, a part of of you know investigating the paranormal isn't necessarily taking a bunch of equipment and lugging it over to a house it, it it again makes great if you want to role play being a ghostbuster mm-hmm. but your odds of actually getting useful data are astronomically low and if the place is so active that if you go there and something happens it's probably one going to happen without an emf reader or a spirit box or whatever toy you have mm. and two the situation's way worse yeah. than you would have thought. Yeah. And, that's what, and I bring that up because of the remote roads. When you have very haunted remote roads, oftentimes these are places that can be so active that despite how remote they are, if you drive through it, the odds of you seeing something are much higher. Mm-hmm. That is so fascinating. I'm curious if, I'm pretty sure you, speaking of roads, you know the next one. I think this is a big one for you. (laughs) Whiskey Hollow Road. Um, And is Whiskey Hollow Road fairly remote now that we're kind of talking about this? Is this a remote road in that area or is it well-traveled, would you say? It is not a well-traveled road. Oh, okay. This is the kind of road, you are on that road if you meant to be on that road. Oh, Okay. The, the local legend states that there have been many deaths along Whiskey Hollow Road. Oh, I, I, if I had read it, I would have answered my question. It's a desolate stretch of roadways, and it has allegedly been the host of KKK and satanic cult meetings. Both racially motivated killings and satanic sacrifices are rumored to have occurred here. Many of those sacrificed are said to have been children, which would explain why passerby have reported seeing a bloody child's blanket hanging from a tree 
or even the spirits of children wandering around the surrounding woods. A man who was wrongly convicted of murder is said to have been held in a shack on Whiskey Hollow Road at one point. He died in the shack before his execution could be carried out and his wife hanged herself from a nearby tree. The ghosts have been seen walking together along the road. Um, and that is, uh, that's, that's fascinating that what, there was one part of this that, um, oh, I was going to say, I remember this being one that came up a lot and it was a bigger one in my research. And it was one I like purposely just like, uh, just like a lot of it, but the, what you told us about Split Rock Quarry, I wanted to make sure I knew nothing about. And this just really surprised me. I thought it was going to, I didn't realize it was going to have such a, um, oh, wow, that's a heavy history or uh, yes. a heavy, um, yeah, of potential uh, things that might have happened there, heaviness to that. So that's really, that's really sad. But yeah, do you have anything? I was going to say, you probably know about this one, right? Oh, there's a lot. Uh, there's a lot. In fact, uh, the plan is the first episode of Haunting Gather, once we release the podcast, is we're just talking about all the Whiskey Hollow stories. Oh, we, wow. That that's going to be fantastic. Um, uh, Jack and I are not going there again. Mm. Uh, we've we've kind of made a promise not to go back there uh but i also on the flip side say that if people do want to probably have a legitimate paranormal experience that is the place to that's go. the place to go yes wow the the history by the way uh there are certain again red flags when i hear satanic cult mm. uh, these are usually urban legends that kicked up around the 1980s satanic panic and it kind of, you know, and before that yeah. it was the KKK, and before then communists gathered there. <laughs> There's always a, a folk devil at any point in time, in, mm. in certain points in time in history. Like with the KKK, the, the folk devil is an actual threat. Mm. Whereas, you know, kids listening to rock music in the 80s, you know, wasn't as much of a threat. <laughs> but, but what you see is because folklore is a very organic ongoing thing yeah you can see through the strata of folklore in a place like this in a small town that has a spooky place that they keep tacking on what the scary thing is there mm. it can't just be a ghost why, why, why is it so bad yeah. why is the why is the energy so bad there ah the kkk was there okay well we're now we're in the well, well, it's the 80s and 90s. That That's not happening, right? Okay, well, it's a satanic cult. Yeah. Okay. And it just keeps adding, you know, before then it was the myth of the, the, the man who was sentenced to death but lived in a shack. Yeah. Out of nowhere. Yeah. And, and then his wife, did, his wife hung, him, hung herself in the tree right next to the shack. There was a story. I remember looking into that a little bit. I, mm. And... Some of the stories that are true, I will say, there have been murders related to Whiskey Hollow. There have been suicides. Mm. Um, and uh, there, I do not believe there was a murder that took place there, but there was a murder that took place outside of Whiskey Hollow. And the body was then brought to Whiskey Hollow. But what's oh. interesting about a lot of the story 
degrees is that even the suicides, these are people who have no tie to whiskey hell. They might have driven a long distance, such as from Buffalo, yeah. way out west, to this place that they have nothing to do with. And it's all at the same spot in Whiskey Hollow to a place called uh, Dead Man's Curve, oh. uh, right by the appropriately named Dead Creek. Oh. Uh, so a lot of the local lore is about this cave, which is was kind of more of a stone outcropping that since has fallen, mm. there's like a rock escarpment. Um, in reality, it's the other side of the road where Dead Creek is that actually has a lot of the activity. So. Oh. I had first heard the very brief, very brief version is that I'd, I'd heard about this place from my dental hygienist. <laughs> I was mentioning that uh, Halloween was coming up and we wanted to look at a couple different haunted places we, uh, Jack was going to be visiting and we kind of always had this Halloween tradition that we'd, we'd do something a little more daring on that night so we wanted to do couple different Syracuse ghost hunts and we stopped at a couple different of the locations that we've talked about wow. along the way and nothing happened nothing happened nothing happened so finally I was like you know my dental hygienist mentioned that there was this place if we want to look into there we actually went home first I made us spiced apple cider <laughs> and I was like Let's head out. Let's try one more place real quick. So we we went out, and I remember my dental hygienist said, "If you want to go to a place that's really legit, this is the place. This is the place the locals know about that they don't bring up too much. They they've it's been it's not like the landmark theater, yeah. or you know, one of these or Thirteen Curves. These places that everyone associates with haunted Syracuse, where you're probably going to go there and not see anything. Maybe there's nothing there." Uh, so this place we actually parked, um, there's a spot where like a, a stream trickles out of a rock and you can park by there. Locals will actually come up and like bottle water there, but that's a story for another time. <laughs> and we parked there, we killed the lights, and these other people parked in front of us and blocked us off. And immediately, as, as much as I'm like, ha <laughs> ha, Satanist, there's no such, you know, threat. Uh, we were cut off and immediately I'm like the Satanists are going to kill us now <laughs> uh, so we we're just like let's just wait let's just wait and like a horror movie <laughs> the doors open and out comes whatever music the kids are listening to these days and a bunch of teenage boys teenage girls all get out they're laughing they're giggling the guys are trying to be daring. <laughs> the girls are, are making squeeing sounds. The guy's trying to scare them. It's like Jason's going to murder them. <laughs> yes. And then you have, cue back to uh, Split Rock Quarry was earlier that day. So again, we're I was ready for those koi dogs, so we're geared up for war. We've got these like thick jackets. I've got my shillelagh got my outdoor knife i'm ready to go and get out of the car and these <laughs> so, so it we took jack had this impala at the time it's black impala he turns the high beams on oh, no. and they're like, it's the cops <laughs> and they scatter and so we were like i'm like they're gonna kill the ambiance let's let's find another spot so we drive to the edge 
of the street. And along the way, these teenagers are like like deer in the headlights, holding <laughs> still, not doing anything, <laughs> pretending that they can't see us. So we ultimately are like, okay, there's no other entrance into the nature trail. We'll just go back to where we parked. So we did. And I don't know. They must have been good kids because they thought we were cops. And they walk up to us to be like, hey, guys, sorry about that. <laughs> and we get out of the car looking like these two badasses, by which I mean I immediately trip and fall on my face. Oh, no. And oh, I felt no. pretty cool. But anyway, so they're just kind of blinking into the darkness. Like, who are these two very strange looking people? <laughs> That look like they came from like the post, some post-apocalyptic wasteland, <laughs> and they fell out of this car. And they just look at us, and they just walk straight into the woods. Like what just happened? So we're going on this trail, and as we're going up the trail, we get to this clearing, and there's like some spray paint on, and, and uh, so people clearly huffing paint because of Central New York, and there's nothing else to do. And so then we kept going up this hill, and at the top of the hill feeling changed it just changed um and jack was saying he was getting nervous which is interesting because he he tends to be the more like i don't want to say cynical or i I also want to say the more objective one because that disparages me but uh (laughs) when we go to these places i'm the person who's more likely to chime in that the energy's off yeah. He typically doesn't say those things. <laughs> and he's like, hey, something's not right. I think we should turn back. Wow. I felt fine. So I'm like, let's keep going. <laughs> I feel great. So this was like our first big one. So I've learned lessons since then. Now if someone says that they don't feel great, mm-hmm. we react very differently now. But wow. I said, let's, so we, what we did is we turned out our lights. We were just quiet for a bit because usually your eyes adjust to the dark. You get used to the night mm-hmm. sounds. Everything's fine. I took out a recorder and um, I asked a couple questions trying to get EVPs and one of the questions I asked you know, were you murdered? Are you dead? I had all the greatest hits (laughs) but I asked are you lost? And immediately a chill went down my spine something was there in the darkness 10 feet away from me I could tell it felt bad So I said, let's keep going. So we kept going down this trail. And it it went and it curved around into a ravine. It should kind of be going back the way we came, but you're going to go through this ravine first. Mm -hmm. And we both just stopped in our tracks. We're going to turn around. So on our way back, um, on our way back, I I, I think I wasn't is alarmed throughout a lot of this as Jack was because um, he, he has better vision than I do. Oh, okay. Uh, and it was very dark. Uh, but I was hearing the teenagers, so I maybe didn't feel as alone. I could mm. hear these, these clowns back on the road, you know, shrieking and laughing. So it just didn't feel as dire to me. So we hear these engines revving. I figured like it was like four wheelers or something Mm. uh, going through some of these like dirt roads. And we get to the bottom 
of the trail and we hear a woman scream and we're like kids am i right yeah so we instead of taking a left back to our car we go to the right a little bit more towards this other area where i saw this interesting feature or landmark or something i couldn't tell what it was we both walk like 10 feet we stop dead in our tracks we, we both felt this like breath on our faces this cold oh i have chills feeling oh. and we looked at each other oh man didn't say a word we turned around and we quickly and efficiently walked back to the car oh. and it was only then that i noticed that the teenagers cars were gone that those weren't the four-wheelers those were the teenagers leaving raising oh. the question who was it that screamed at the road oh my gosh i have chills all over <laughs> so, did, so did we. Oh, uh, man. I got out my phone to start playing back the EVPs. And when I got to the question, are you lost? I don't... I think... I don't know if I heard a sound. I don't know if I heard something. I thought I heard something. But it was one of those moments where like, I hit a fork in the road of how I was going to approach this. Because this is the first time we went there and it seemed like something happened. Mm. Um, I could either save this, edit it, blow it up on a computer, listen to it, obsess over it. Mm-hmm. Instead, I deleted it. I didn't want any connection to what I just felt. Wow. I deleted it off my phone. And that was, since then, has become one of our founding principles mm. with Haunt and Gather is that we do not take EVPs. We try to follow a code of best practices that we've since made to minimize the risk of connections and contacts interesting while observing we did go back the next day bringing someone else um and i've been there four times total wow uh each time i culminated with seeing a shadow apparition dark across the road whoa Um, seeing that thing stalk us through the woods it's it's a terrifying place. There is something predatorial there that Whoa. we don't believe was ever human. Oh um, my gosh. So yeah, Whiskey Hollow Road. Holy crumb. Great place. If you drive through there, the two tips I would give you uh, to find it. One, at night, some of the residential areas block their roads. Oh, interesting. And... Uh... They, they block some of the roads at night. You can find ways around them. And like the to, like the people that live close by just take it upon themselves to be like, don't go in there? It's almost like it's a... Not even those roads. It's like by some of the roads by the... Maybe when we went, but some of the houses um, in the residential area, they were certainly putting... Putting out uh, wooden barriers across the Interesting. road. We found we found a way to drive in a side road and then get back into the neighborhood. Mm. The best place to park is uh, around one of the curves. There's going to be the spot you can pull up into where there's water trickling out from a rock, and you can back up into that area. Mm. That's the best spot. Um, as for hunting, uh, again, I would not recommend. EVPs, if someone is 
so open to doing anything for any crazy reason like Ouija boards or anything like mm-hmm. that. Oh I gosh. I would not recommend that here. Yeah. Uh, oh man. <laughs> it is a very malevolent thing that is there, I can say that. Wow, that is crazy. The breath of like death, you kind of described it in a, in a matter of words. That part, I got goosebumps all over my body when you said that. That's one thing in my story that I'll tell in an upcoming episode. One thing that this woman and there's this like, it's a lengthy conversation to have to have about the relationship that I had with her. But uh, she was a medium. She is a medium, and she like approached me out of the blue. And one of the things, just out of many things that I'll talk about, but one of the things she um, she said to me was out of sight out of mind you have to tell yourself that because if you find yourself thinking about it or if you hold something like a recorded audio and you keep going back to it she said that kind of gives it power to a degree and there's like a potential for it to amplify or worse things to happen so I still find myself even just when I'm scared in general maybe I'm just home alone or and I don't know the, it gets the better of me but I find myself saying that phrase um ever since this like complete stranger who knew things about me that nobody could have known it's so crazy um but she was very uh adamant about that that being the rule that you follow so that's really fascinating that um you guys have instilled that in your practice it's i think even what you're talking about with thinking about something Mm -hmm. dwelling on it that's a part of it yeah it's it's like making a groove over time that becomes more yeah. of a depression something can totally. you know over time walk a more worn trail yeah um we've we've always followed a rule that there are essentially three ways that anything intelligent uh can form a connection to someone uh which without going down that that rabbit hole too much tonight <laughs> is Typically, it's fear. Yeah. It's unresolved hatred or animosity, or it's the occult. And mm-hmm. in this case, we refined that definition a bit more. The occult by way of communication with the unknown. Interesting. Uh, questions, open-ended questions, way of letting a thing speak. Mm-hmm. Anything to give agency yes. using your willpower yeah. to give agency to another thing is a yeah. blank check that you are writing to things that you don't understand. And that's a phenomenal way to put it. Thank you. It, yeah. It, it, it whiskey hollow. It the thing is proven intelligent. This isn't a wow. soldier walking through the woods. Yeah. And every midnight uh in the winter he's seen in the moonlight you know uh it, it's it's not that kind of story there's yeah a, when there when there's something like that wow uh, so we we decided in addition to how safe it could be for us to go back the fact wow. that we are spending more time now telling the story of that place deepens our connection to that place uh, because of that, we certainly cannot go back there. And you said that will be episode one of Haunt and Gather? That is... Right to it, yep. Oh, I am so looking forward to we're that. We're going to go through... Wow. Uh, we're going through the story of our first visit to Whiskey Hollow, 
uh, our second visit where we brought someone who is a huge history buff who did a little bit of research for us um, and then a couple subsequent visits there we then break down essentially what we think it is how it works wow uh, and what that could imply about the unknown that is fascinating i'm so looking forward to that so listeners we have come to the decision that we have so much more to talk about syracuse is just chock full of spooky scary and haunted lore and we couldn't have a better guest with us to to delve into this so what we've decided to do is we're going to have this be part one of haunted 315 the official haunted 315 special episode and definitely keep your eyes out keep your ears out because we are going to do a part two that has I would say close to the same amount of uh, length of time that we've talked about already with so many other fascinating, interesting, spooky things. So Ben will be back. He will be joining us for that part two. And uh, we hope you really enjoy part one. And Ben, I just wanted to like, A, thank you so much again, but also just replug. Let's uh, Haunt and Gather is up and coming and there will be social media website presence accompanying that. So um, so we're really looking forward to that. And I just wanted to say, is there anything you wanted to wrap up with? Or did I miss anything maybe to plug? No. Uh, so so uh, Haunt uh, and Gather uh, is up on uh, Twitter right now. That's what we're going to yeah. use to announce anytime we do put out a that's good right. content. Uh, that's at Haunt and Gather. I just made a fancy logo for it today. Uh, <laughs> so pretty excited about that. Awesome. But uh, no, thank you so much, Juliana, for, for just... Uh, letting me get on a couple soapboxes <laughs> and uh, tell a couple stories but yeah. i also appreciate you you giving the 315 uh, the attention that maybe it doesn't deserve <laughs> i don't know thank you so much oh you're very very welcome um as always i just like to list the sources to give people the credit so real quick this is a it's gonna be short and sweet we've got the landmarktheater.org we've got ghostquest.net We've got the Erie Canal Museum.org, the Haunted History Trail.com, the National Paranormal Society.com, New York Ghosts.com, GhostQuest.net again, visit Syracuse.com, hauntedplaces.org, cnycentral.com, dailyorange.com, and Haunted History Trail again, centerforinquiry.org, hauntedplaces.org had several locations, and newyorkhauntedhouses.com, and syracuse.com had some fantastic information as well. So I just wanted to shout out all those authors that uh, have taken the time to compile all of this awesome information. And as always, a big cheers to our guests, a cheers to our listeners, and happy haunting. Cheers, thank you. <laughs>